Welcome. My name is Alan. So glad that you're here. Uh, thrilled that you've chosen to be uh, celebrating Easter with us. If you've been pushed, pulled, dragged by relatives to be here to celebrate with us. Happy Easter. Perhaps you've experienced a few happy Easters from one another already. Happy Easter, happy Easter, happy Easter. Have you ever thought about that word? Have you ever thought about the word Easter? Why do we call it Easter? What does Easter have to do with that? That, you know, Christmas, we call it Christmas, so it makes sense, even though we're not allowed to use the word anymore, but it makes sense because it has the word Christ in it. But where does the word Easter come from? There are, uh, the majority of, of uh, scholars say that it comes from a Germanic goddess named Aestora, and she was the goddess of spring and fertility and uh, new life and such. And there is a legend regarding Aestora where a little bird struggled through a harsh winter, and as a result, her wings didn't work any longer. And Aestora came and transformed that little bird into a bunny. And then the bunny was magical because the bunny could lay eggs. And then the bunny connected with a male bunny named Hershey, and then they had the... uh, now, Now, the last part was my little addition to the story. But the rest of that is, is supposedly one kind of journey in terms of how we call it Easter. Uh, regardless of what we call this day, this is the day that we remember 2,000 years ago, two days after the most incredible teacher, person, rabbi who had ever walked this planet was crucified on a cross as a perfectly innocent man. And then two days later, this group of women went to the tomb, still mourning, still in deep sorrow, not for a second truly believing that that person would rise from the dead, even though he said he would, went to the tomb and found two angels there saying, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you while he was with you? In Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered His words. See, regardless of what we call this morning, this is the celebration of the most incredible moment in the history of humanity. A day when this man who said he was the Son of God Raised from the dead. See, Easter is okay, but a much better word for what we gather about here this morning is Resurrection Sunday. This is Resurrection Sunday that we are celebrating. Could you imagine being those two angels to whom God said, you get to tell them? And these angels are probably going, whoa, Michael and Gabriel, they get everything. We get to tell them. This moment, I could imagine them being so giddy as they were moving or flying or whatever they would do to get over to this, to this point next to this rock, next to this cave. I could imagine them saying, okay, okay, okay. You say, why do you look for the living among the dead? And I'll say, he's not here. He is risen. And then the other one might have said, why do you get to say he is risen? Why, you always get to do that. But why don't I get to say that he is risen part? I don't know exactly what their conversation was. But what I do know is they got to proclaim the most amazing, unbelievable, world-changing truth that humanity had ever experienced. 
He is risen from the dead. Would you pray with me? God, we are here to celebrate you. And uh, we're at so many different places in our relationships with you, God. And uh, I'm thankful that you are here and you know our hearts. And we want to connect with you here, God, today. We want to celebrate who you are. You have risen from the dead. May that penetrate our hearts and our minds here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Mountain Park has been on a journey here in 2010, beginning in January. We've been committing all of 2010 to what we're calling the whole shebang. We're looking at the grand story of God, the overall story of God, walking through the Old Testament, etc., etc., as we've uh, been on this journey. And if this story, this whole shebang story, if it was a movie, then the trailer to this movie, you may have seen this before, but we're going to show it again here. The trailer to this movie would look like this. beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. It was Eden, and then humanity fell, and the sacred fellowship was broken, forever altered. A brother would kill a brother, a father would sacrifice a son. But the story did not end there. God began a relentless quest for the hearts of His people. He pursued, He provided, He protected. But the object of His affection drifted. But the story did not end there. God was setting the stage for the ultimate hero. A child. The divine creator took on flesh and became one of us. He healed, he forgave, but to those in power he was a threat, so they killed him. But the story did not end there. He rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and completely reset the course of humanity. Since then, God has continued to pursue. Much has been, much remains to be. Will you play your part in the grand story? There's something in the human heart that tells us there is an epic going on around us. The end of the story has been foretold, but only the Creator knows the path to its end. It's time to step back, embrace the truth, and be transformed by the whole shebang. Yeah, okay. Now, now, if, if the, the only time you've been here in the last few months was Christmas, you might think, do they show that thing every day, every week? No, we don't. But uh, this, this is just kind of a, an invitation to the journey that we've been on. And it's been a pretty fun and exciting uh, journey. And today, Easter, we are looking at the crux of the story, the turning point in the story, the twist in the story. And we like stories that have a twist. Over the last 10 or so years, there have been a number of movies that have, that have had 
a twist in them, and we go, oh, those are the ones that kind of really grab, uh, grab us. Can you think of a movie that has a classic twist, one of the kind of the classic twist movies? Anybody? What's that? Okay, be really quiet. It's Easter. Can anybody think of it? Just shout it out. Shutter Island. Okay, good. I'm uh, the, uh, terrible movie. <laughs> Let me just tell you, I did not want to see that movie. Marsh made me go to it. I'm serious, and that's a terrible. I'll just say it publicly. Terrible movie. Uh, uh, but it does. It has this twist. It has this twist in it. Another movie, and I won't uh, condemn you like I did her for saying that. Uh, <laughs> and I'm, I don't assume that you saw it. You just heard other people see this terrible movie, right? Anybody else? Sixth Sense was one of the Night Shemaliah Ding Dong movies. This guy, he does this. He did, he did The Unbreakable. He did um, The Village. Uh, and he just has to have these twists in him. Okay, anybody, just one more. Anybody? Seven Pounds? I haven't seen that. Does that have a twist in it? Okay, it has a little twist in it. We like the twist thing. You, uh, usual Suspects. Have you seen that? Twisting at the end, uh, uh, Fight Club, which is a movie that I would never admit publicly that I love. Uh, I mean, just different kinds of. There's there's Star Wars where the Luke, I am your father, and what happens in these twists that happens in movies? They reshape everything that happened prior to that. They reinform everything that happened prior to that. I remember when I saw Sixth Sense and that moment when I see dead people and then you realize that he's dead. I I know I just spoiled the movie, but if you haven't seen it yet, it's your fault. (laughs) Sixth Sense, I remember going, no way. Totally, totally had me with the whole movie. Loved it. Awesome. Loved it, loved it, loved it. That was the turning point, the twist, the crux of the story. And when we experience that kind of a twist, it reshapes everything that happened prior to it. And I love it in Sixth Sense. They give us these quick little flashes of scenes in the movie that we just saw an hour ago. But it's amazing that they have to give you scenes to remind you of this stuff. But you go, so the mom wasn't even, uh, uh, didn't know that he was there because he was dead. And his wife wasn't, didn't even know he was there because he was dead. And the whole thing, you know, brain cells are exploding all over the place. It's, and what, what we usually do when we see a good twist in a movie is we want to go back and watch the movie again, right? We wanna, usual suspects. I watched the movie, and then I said, honey, sit down. We're watching this thing again. You've got to just kind of figure this thing out. This is awesome. So here we are in the whole shebang, and we are entering into the twist, the turning point, the crux of the story. This is the point basically where the disciples are saying, I see a dead person. There's a twist. Okay, that was really bad. Uh, uh, There was a twist in the story. This is the crux. This is the turning point in the story where we, it reshapes everything that happened prior to that. Hundreds of years of prophecies, hundreds of prophecies get revisited now in light of this twist, this very unexpected twist in the story in the whole shebang. We now can go back to, for instance, the story of Abraham and Isaac. And Abraham is about to kill his son when God stops him and says, no, 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 I will provide the lamb. I I will provide the lamb. Now that story makes more sense in terms of a father offering his son to be the ultimate sacrifice. 
Next week, we're going to talk about how Jesus is the, is the fulfillment of so many prophecies. We're going to go back and kind of relook at the story a little bit and see how Jesus really is the Messiah that we have been waiting for, that they had been waiting for. And uh, this is part of the whole shebang. If, if you haven't been a part of that, what we do is we have these binders, and uh, every week we have a little piece of paper that slips into that binder, and next week if you come, we'll give you a binder. You can kind of join this journey if you'd like with us. It's been, like I said, it's been a pretty exciting journey, not just to learn the information. It's not about information. It's about transformation and allowing this story to invade and impact our lives. Because I, I believe that when we hit this, there's a turning point in every one of our lives. This is the crux of the story, not just of the whole shebang, but in, in our individual lives as well. That we are on a journey in life, and then we come to the crossroads. We come to the crux, the cross. And then we have the option of kind of ignoring it and blowing by it and kind of keep on going. We have the option of saying, you know, there's enough here for me to say, I believe this is, this is the story. I believe this is who God is and that he's inviting me to respond to him. I want to be a follower of God, a disciple of, of Christ. We can make that choice and choose to follow God. Or we can say, you know, I'm just not there yet. I like uh, some parts about it. I like what Jesus said and such, but I'm not ready to hand my life over to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Not sure what that means, not really interested in doing that. And I want to take a moment and just talk about this place, being at this place, kind of this third option for just a moment. And if that's where you are, my assumption is that you have good reason to be there. My assumption is that you have significantly legitimate reasons to be there. And I am not going to say today, oh, just, just let those go. Just don't worry about those and come on, get on the boat. I'm not going to say that. You, I believe you have good reason not to be a follower of Christ. I've heard many good reasons. I have thought and bounced around and had my own doubts about, about reasons for this. Maybe it's theological. It's the piece of how could a loving God allow bad things to happen to good people or allow anyone to go to hell? How could a creator God Allow that to happen to any soul, any person. I just can't do that. That's a good reason. Maybe it's, it's emotional that there was a time in your life when you decided to trust something significant to God. Maybe it was the illness of someone you cared about. And you said in that moment you poured your whole heart into this God that you were so wanting to believe in and God didn't show up the way you, you wanted and things didn't go, either for your own sickness or somebody you care about. Things didn't go the way you wanted to. And as a result, that becomes a, a very legitimate reason to say, I, I'm, I can't surrender myself to that God, at least not right now. Maybe it's a relational piece. Maybe uh, you don't want to be one of those Christians, and you don't want to put the bumper stickers on your car. And have the little uh, really cheap ornaments things up in your office space that make everybody go, oh, stay away from that cubicle or whatever. <laughs> Maybe there's a part of your family history and you grew up uh, with a Jewish family or a Muslim family and it would be a disgrace to your family and out of your love for your parents, you don't want to say to them that they were wrong. You can't do that. That, would just, that just can't fit into your system. I believe there's a good reason 
if you've chosen not to be a follower of Christ. And if you're you're here, which you are, then I'm so glad that you're here. This is a safe place for us to uh, engage and encounter our faith. And I don't think that the faith journey is one where we take these reasons, one, two, or three, or ten, or whatever, we take these good reasons, and then we, we, we reason our way out of them. We chip away at each of these reasons. Okay, I've got ten reasons not to be a follower of Christ. Here's one. I'm going to read two books about that, have three conversations, boom. Got that taken care of. Next one, boom, I'm going to take care of this one. Boom, I'm going to take care of this one. I cannot recall a time where someone met with me in my office and said, Alan, I have three reasons why I'm not going to be a follower of Christ. Let's have a conversation. Hey, that makes sense. Let's pray. This Lord, come and be. I just, despite the brilliance of my responses, I've never experienced that kind of uh, change because, uh, you know, I used to put pressure on myself to feel like I had to have all the answers. I'm a, I'm a pastor. I graduated from a cemetery. And so... Uh, I need to know, I need to know how to respond to all these reasons. But you know what? I I just don't have that. It's okay for me to be kind of dumb in in many areas. It's okay because answering questions, uh, responding to good reasons does not change hearts. Now, I believe in asking questions. It is a part of our value here. It is a part of stirring up what's in our mind and what's in our soul. Absolutely, we'll talk, we'll have conversations. That's great. That's very valuable in the kingdom. But that's not the part that transforms hearts, I believe. What what transforms hearts is when this whole story becomes more than just a wrestling with reason. It becomes personal. When this story becomes personal. And that's why this is the crux of the story. It's the twist. It's the turning point. Because the whole shebang here becomes personal. Prior to this, God was was comparably pretty distant. It was a God who set everything in motion. It was a God who who set laws, said, you can't see me, you cannot uh, interact with me, talk with me directly, I will speak to prophets, prophets will be the ones who will speak to you, Uh, God gives a flood, gives plagues, there is a distance, that it's the same loving, merciful God in the Old Testament, we've seen that over the past few months, but there there is a distance there that is radically transformed with the story of Jesus on the cross with the person of Jesus. That's when God moves from being a distant concept to being personal. In no other culture, no other God became personal like Jesus. No other God in any other culture would take a child, put a child on his lap, especially in in that culture where children were viewed as just kind of get them out of the way. No other God would take a child, put him on a lap and say, say and, and give value to that person. No other God would weep with humans, would laugh with humans, cry, hug, play, run, fish. At this twist, at this turning point, God moves from being a distant concept to being a very personal God. And so, The idea here with regard to our reasons is that we don't just chip away at our reasons. Our reasons don't go away when we come to faith. They just get smaller. 
I believe for many of you, if you've been a follower for a while, if you're honest with your mind and your soul, there are still reasons why you doubt. But those reasons get smaller when it becomes personal. When, it, when the whole thing moves from being a concept to being personal, the reasons get smaller. They don't go away. They take a back seat to the personal nature of it. We see this in many other areas of our lives. Our family has been wanting a dog. Our kids, they're four, six, and nine. They've been wanting a dog for quite some time. What kids that age wouldn't want a dog? There are plenty of reasons not to get a dog, and I have laid them out so clearly to our kids They are loud, they shed, they rip up expensive things that mom and I have worked very hard to provide for you, like carpet. (laughs) Dogs eat their own vomit. What kind of a, that's just gross. I mean, Scripture even talks about that, the dog, as the dog returns to its vomit. And, and why would a person, why would a thinking person say, I'm going to spend my money bringing this creature into my house to do these things to the house that I've worked so hard to purchase and to maintain for myself. But something happens when it moves from a concept of a dog to this. My wife and I were talking and thinking and considering uh, having a dog. And then I went over to this, uh, to this place. It was, it was a dog grooming place because uh, I'd heard that they had these puppies over there. I went over, took a picture, brought it home, showed my wife, and, um, and she kind of really quickly thought, well, uh, if that's our dog, then I don't want her in that cage. And so let's get in the van and go. And I said, honey, we should talk about this. We should think about this. No. See, because what happened... So we went from a concept of a dog to this. Here. There. Thank you, Summer. Thank you, Summer. This is our new dog. This is Daisy. See, I'll do, I'll do like Lion King. The reasons that I didn't want to get a dog did not go away. All those reasons. I mean, she's still loud going to wake me up when I have my valuable sleep that I need. I need beauty sleep. And she sheds, even though she's got poodle in her, but who, who knew that if it's a cross, she's still going to shed. And she rips up the carpet that we put down just a few years ago. And just this last week, she ate her own vomit. Why would you do that? I don't get I really just don't understand that. Oh, she just, she just kind of gulped and said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, what's interesting about the, the we already had it, one celebration. Yeah. She's shy. We already, <laughs> she's, uh-huh. Okay, yeah, I'll get you off soon. So, it was pretty interesting. For, we already had one celebration here this morning, and, uh, and I had some comments after the set. You never want to be upstaged by children or puppies. I get that. But we had a, uh, a celebration already this morning, and, you know, there were some comments of people going, yeah, yeah, it's the resurrection of Jesus. That's great. They brought a puppy on stage. So anyway, um, the reasons didn't go away, but what happened is we went from a concept of a dog to Daisy. The reasons are still there. They still exist. They just get smaller. They take a back seat to the personal nature of the actual little thing. Okay, I'll let you go now. Okay. Say bye. Bye. Okay. Thank you, sir. Okay. Come on, Daisy. There we go. 
<laughs> now, some of you are thinking, okay, uh, 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 you're not a dog person, so you think, well, you're the idiot who got the dog, who allowed this to happen, or whatever. But some of you got married. <laughs> and you see, there are plenty of reasons not to get married. Plenty of reasons. Now, don't nudge the person next to you with all, with all this and say, see, I don't. But there's really, there are plenty there. It's expensive. How are you going to work out the finances? One checking account that doesn't make any sense. Commitment, one person for the rest of my life. <laughs> what, what's that all about? The, the whole ball and chain situation for some of you. Again, don't nudge. It could be the... Uh, the dirty socks all over. Why would I want to bring that into my home? Why would I? Now, when we choose to get married, we don't line up all our reasons and say, okay, I'm going to deal with this one. I'm going to deal with this one. No, it doesn't happen that way. Typically, when we move into the love zone, we're like Bambi and Thumper. We're walking around saying, it's not going to happen to me. It's not going to happen. Whoa. And, they, and you get Twitter-pated, and, and this, this thing happens where your reasons for not getting married, they don't go away, they just get smaller, they take a back seat when it moves from being a distant concept of marriage covenant to her or him. And it's the same thing with, with having children, that, that those of you, those of us who have kids, we typically have our first one out of complete naivety. That's why, how we enter into that first one. But then something odd happens. We learn the reasons why people don't have children. And we have six months of sleepless nights and, and vomit-covered uh, work clothes. There, I mentioned vomit twice in one Easter service. It's a record. I'm proud of myself. And, and we have all these reasons. They develop, they, they grow, they grow. And then what had, that weird thing happens nine months or one year or three years down the road. Often, parents decide to do it again, even though those reasons are there, and all the more reasons come, because the reasons get smaller when we move from the concept of a dog, a marriage, a baby, when it moves from a concept to a person, when it becomes personal. It's the same thing with regard to our response to this, to the cross. It's one thing to think about and to, to reason through who God is and the whole shebang and the story. It's another thing to have a personal encounter and relationship with a God who came to be with us. So let me be very clear as I, as I wrap up here. Let me be very clear about my intentions for our Easter time here today. My intentions, just... I just don't want to be hidden about it at all, is for each and every one of you, my hope, each and every one, to become a follower of Christ. To make the decision to say, I don't fully understand it, but I want to be a follower of, of, of the personal God who came in the form of Jesus Christ. I want to be, whether you, this is your first time in a church in five years or you've been coming here faithfully for five years, and if you're unsure about this, then my intention here today is that you would be a follower of Christ. I am not asking you to shut your brain down. I am valuing your reasons not to do this. I'm not saying shut your brain down and pretend they don't exist. I'm saying allow them to get smaller as God moves from being distant to being 
personal, to being a, a personal God. I believe this is the crux of the story. It's the turning point. It's the twist of the story. And if you believe it's possible that that's true, that this really is the crux of the story, then don't you think you owe it to yourself, your soul, your eternity to at least give it some thought to find out what it is you have accepted or what it is you're currently rejecting? And so I'm not going to ask any of you to come up front and and have a prayer up here. We're not going to do that this morning. I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand where you are. I'm simply going to ask you to come back. To come back and continue on a journey so that it's more than just one moment with God. It is a developing relationship with a person. Over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about section three in the whole shebang. We're going to look at the Messiah. Maybe you already know all, of, all about this here. Maybe you don't. But you see, God came at this point in history with the twist in the story, and he made it very, very personal so that it no longer was an issue of God saving humanity but God dying for you, insert name. It became a very personal experience so that your experience, regardless of your mistakes, the things that you've done, the things that you've said, the things that you've been a part of, the things that you regret, the things that you're shameful for, regardless of of a thought that you might have of yourself that you are worthless, that you're a loser, that you are insignificant, God wants to come as the the Messiah, the Savior, and offer you freedom from that. We're celebrating the fact that Jesus is risen, is resurrected from the dead. And Scripture is very clear about the metaphor that we, when we come to life in Christ, that we can be resurrected from the dead. So many of us are living spiritually or emotionally dead lives. And the Messiah, the Savior, wants to bring freedom into that to release the bird from the cage to to fly free, to experience the fullness of life that God has for you. And this isn't just an introduction salvation concept. Perhaps that's a new thing for you, and this is the time for you to have a first relationship with God. It's all the way from that to someone who has been following Christ for a long time. Are you experiencing the fullness and the freedom and the resurrection that a personal, loving, living Christ has for you? I invite you to come back. Come back and let's continue this journey together. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that you made the story personal, that you never intended to be a distant God that you don't intend to be a distant God with us right now. And and even though we can't touch you in the ways that we would like to, we can't can't touch in the ways that, that Thomas said, I need to be able to put my finger on it. Even though we can't have that experience, God, would you open up our souls and our minds to the reality that, that you have come to be a personal God. That our reasons though legitimate, 
they can take a back seat as we encounter a personal living God. And so God, now as we, as we close, as we sing this song, would you resurrect parts in us that have been dead maybe for a long time, that we would rise to become the people that you've created us to be. We celebrate you. We love you. We are thankful for this Resurrection Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a peace.